0: Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, portal ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. Always broadcasting first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more of Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM there on Wall Street in downtown Asheville. We couldn't do this without you. And and Robin Collier and Taos uh, for broadcasting this show on KCEI, we appreciate that as well. If you'd like to get in touch with me, Nave at jamesnave.com, Nave is spelled N-A-V-E. And if you'd like to join me any Saturday morning for Uh, My Imaginative Storm writing prompt of the week gathering. Uh, I host that on Zoom with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston. The door is always open. There's never a charge for it. If you would like to find that Zoom link, imaginativestorm.com is where you can find that. So today I have a guest on whom I've known for quite a while. Her name is Bria Parker. Bria and I met at a TED Talk. She was doing illustrations And you may have seen people do this where you have the illustrator standing on stage drawing the images of what's going on in the room. So Bria was drawing the image of each TED Talker and what they were saying and compiled all that into a final image that reflected the entire event. So Bria has been doing that for a long time. She lives in Asheville and she does other things as well. And so today when got on our call – I connected with her on Zoom, she and I just jumped right into a conversation about feeling comfortable and what it meant to be in the comfort zone and out of the comfort zone. Bria, when we were just chatting just now, you were talking about the comfort zone. So what do you mean when you talk about wanting to expand or or get out of your comfort zone? and, And how do you define comfort?
1: Well, I guess we're going to find out because all of this has been rolling around in my head, for weeks now and probably longer than that. I've been very happy in my life, extremely satisfied in my life. I built up this sweet little house and sweet gardens and a good working life doing what you were talking about, the graphic facilitating. Back in the same year that we met, 2010, I started doing the graphic facilitating. And I had wanted to be the person who stands on stage and inspires people, right? So when I started doing this work, and I did it for Marianne Williamson, and I looked at her and I went, "Mm, I wanted to be her. And I guess I get to do this instead. But when I came home from doing that, that's when I got my invitation to do the TED Talk for that day that we met. So I knew that it was still alive. However, it kind of stayed in the background. And as I'm doing this graphic facilitating and trying to figure it out and realizing that it's really helping people to understand what's being said around them by having it drawn out in front of them, I thought, oh, wow, I could make a business out of this. I had a couple of friends who decided that they wanted to help me do that, and I asked them what they were passionate about, and they looked at me like deer in the headlights. They had no idea what they were passionate about, but they really did. So it came up with questions that eventually became these sessions that I've been doing now for the last 12 years called What's Right With Me. It's very empowering for people that they realize what it is that they bring to the world, what they're passionate about, what they love, what they want to do in the world. At least it opens up that little box, right? When I would finish with these sessions, I knew that people needed to go somewhere, but I didn't know where to take them. But I was very satisfied in the work that I was doing in the graphic facilitating until I wasn't. COVID happened. We get into this space of being very retrospective, looking at our life going forward, being in my late 60s. Am I done here? Is this it? Is this where I'm going? And I decided no. I needed to stretch out. I needed to do something more for these sessions that people were doing, wanted to carry them. So I took the Chopra coaching certification and I thought I was just going to get a nice stamp, right? That I could say to people, well, I'm a certified coach and so I can help you now. But really what I got out of it was one, I got a deeper knowing about who I am. I got a deeper knowing that I need more in my life, and I got a deeper knowing of how to literally take people from that, what are my next steps, to an empowering place where they can take the next steps. So <laughs> that certification done, now what am I going to do with it, right? So I settled back a little bit into the work that I've been doing, this graphic facilitating, because it's, it's something I love to do and it's lucrative, it gives me a nice lifestyle. It's not my passion though. So that's as I'm sitting back in my comfort zone once again after the certification and going through these last few months of being settled and getting back into the the comfort which is I think human nature to find a comfort zone, to find a nest, it's what we're always building for, right? But once you get into the nest, Are you going to stay there? Are you going to stay there for the rest of your life? Not me. (laughs) So I had a friend who came to me and said, what are you going to do with this coaching? I said, I'm going to go back to my original thought of I want to be a source of inspiration for people. The Marianne Williamson kind of scenario, right? I don't have the energy to be Marianne. She's a spitfire. She's awesome and super, super intelligent, and super knowledgeable. I I don't want to be Marianne Williams. I want to be Bria, full out Bria. That means stepping outside of this nice, cozy space that I've built and moving into the next phase. So this friend who asked me about this said, I want to help you do that. And then we realized quickly that we were missing a link in our new world here of social media, of getting the word out. Neither one of us were adept at that. So I asked my 27 year old granddaughter who's very adept at social media. She became the third leg of the stool and we created a workshop for January 21st. It's the first new moon of 2023. And it's called Empowering Me in 2023. And it's a free workshop with the idea that I'm giving this. These gifts that I've been given, I want to give back. And I want to help people to become that full-out person that I'm striving to be. As I step out of the comfort zone, I'm growing every day. I'm stretching every day. And I'm finding something new every day.
0: When have you ever found yourself so far out of what you call the comfort zone that you knew you were not in the living room with the fire ablaze?
1: I stepped out of my comfort zone in a big way. Like 24 years ago, I was married for over two decades with family, living a suburban type of life, very comfortable building it to the comfort zone, right? building it to the place where you can have all the things that are supposed to be the things that make you a successful person in our culture, right? You get the house, you get the cars, you have the children, They you send the kids to college, all of those things. You help the husband become the best person he can be in his career, all the while building up my work on the sidelines, I'm in that age group, crossing the bridge, moving out of the 1950s family and 1960s family into a pure partnership kind of family. I did step out of my comfort zone there, and I thought I was ready, but I wasn't. And the world tumbled down on top of me. And so I've spent these last two decades digging out from the rubble that I created for myself by going out on limbs constantly and falling to the ground and crawling back up the tree, right? Every single time that I'd crawl out on that limb and fall to the ground and climb back up the tree, I learned something new over and over and over again. And so I'm nowhere near the same person that I was those two decades ago when I left that
0: marriage. In this workshop that you're doing, inspired by what you just said, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, well, what are my comfort zones? And when have I stepped out of them? And 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 what are they now? And is comfort zone the right description? It's a workable description. It may be the most accurate description of I'm very comfortable now, but I, I'm going to step out. So I'm trying to figure out when I have done it or not done it, when I've had an opportunity to do something and I just didn't. I, I held back. Uh, made a creative U-turn, maybe, and, and just didn't didn't go. So, in this work that you're going to do or that you're developing, do you have a section in in your work? And you may have you may call it something different than what I'm going to suggest here. A comfort zone inventory: the times when you've gone out of your comfort zone, and then inventory the times when something was presented to you that you refused or you didn't step into because it was too scary, it didn't make sense, it was maybe too threatening. I'm thinking of a time when my buddy John Van Hasselt, who lives in Paris, whom I've mentioned a number of times mm-hmm. on the show, We're Good Friends, and and he, maybe this was 15 years ago, and I was doing my artist way creativity work, I was in my comfort zone, I was traveling around having a very, very good time, but he said, I have a proposition for you. I have a plan and I want you to join me on this plan. And I said, okay, what is it, man? He (laughs) said, I want to do 888 days around the world and never take an airplane. And I want to go down the down through, leave Europe and go down through it. We were in Paris, leave Europe, go down through Africa, through the Arab countries, and then North Africa, and then down all the way through to the tip of Africa, and then come back up and then cross over, and then come all the way up through South America, through Central America, and then throughout all of North America, and then work our way by boat over to Asia, and then go through all the Asian countries, India, Iran, and, Back to Europe, and I'd had a friend named A. D. Anderson who lives in Asheville who had done that on a bicycle, and he had taken like two years to do it. But Van Hassel wanted to do it in in eighty eight eight hundred and eighty eight days and do stories all along the way. Now it would have cost a lot of money. It would have been dangerous. He didn't care if the these were conflict zones or not. It didn't matter. We were going to go through these countries and see what happened. And I didn't have the spine for it a part of me really wanted to do it but I was like I, I just I, that's too far out of my comfort zone I just I just yeah. can't see myself walking through a, a war zone in more than one country I thought well, I it have-
1: sounds like you use discernment for yourself right well, I don't was- I don't, don't know
0: understand- I, I still think gee whiz man what if we just done mm-hmm. it wouldn't that have been great <laughs> So I still think about it. So that would, but that's yeah. really a dramatic thing. And maybe it was so dramatic that it gives me an excuse to say, oh, that was my comfort zone. That that was the that was when I didn't get out of my comfort zone. But yeah. you know, maybe I'm just being overly dramatic and it's all just rasbadazzle. Well,
1: that's I mean, that that's kind of metaphorical, right? Even going out to uh, a Walmart the day after one of these shootings, right? That can be intimidating. And as much as what you just described can keep someone in their home. I'll call and I'll I'll make an order and I'll have it delivered or whatever, you know. But there's this fear thing that is pervasive in our culture right now. There's a fear of, of so many things. And all you have to do is turn on the news and then you have more fear that enters into your life. And that fear of not going to Walmart, for instance, can be also transferred into the rest of your life, right? So you have this basic fear thing going on. So when somebody says, hey, I think I want to go live in Paris for a month, but they just had some kind of Something happened in Paris and you say, oh, no, it's too scary to do that. Just because the instant knee-jerk reaction that has been said to us over and over again is fear. So instead of going, well, that's a needle in a haystack thing that can happen. The rest of life is awesome, so I'm going. What has happened for me over these last few years there's a quiet fear. What I'm talking about is stepping out of the fear zone, stepping out, and and letting that fear be there, not denying it, letting it be there, looking at it square in the face.
0: Yeah, and fear is a an interesting a benefit or asset or currency. I like. I'm using the word currency for things these days. The unrealistic fear or the false fear. Here's an example of a false fear. I look at a video of somebody walking on one of those glass paths in China and Mm -hmm. the drop is like 3000 feet down. Well, I, I, I get scared sitting at my desk looking at the video. That's a false fear. You may be dangling on the edge of a cliff with no protection, full of fear, trying to figure out how to survive. That's a real fear. Though mm-hmm. so we're talking about the difference between false fears and real fears. Discernment, fear, risk, doubt, all of those elements are valid elements to inform us as to how to make a decision.
1: There are things that we attach to ourselves. They aren't real. Okay. In general, those things are not real. Fears are not real. They are a story that we create. For instance, meditation is a place where you can come into the quiet zone of yourself. You can practice it, right? What's very difficult to do constantly. One of the greatest things that I learned in the meditation certification was Roger Gabriel, who's the CEO or chief meditation officer of Chopra, said, you're never going to turn your brain off. You're never going to turn that mind chatter off. What you're going to do is slow it down. And you're going to teach it like working out a muscle in the gym, your arm muscles in the gym, you're working out this quiet muscle. In the meditation itself, you aren't finding all the benefits, it's outside of the meditation that you find the benefits. And I I know this firsthand because for the last two years, I've been a regular meditator. I've meditated all my life, hit and miss, but always feeling like I wasn't doing it right because my mind kept going. Well, now what I understand is that there are little blips as I'm going through meditation that let me dip down into that place of unencumbered, without the fears, without all the stories that been created that stop me so that I can outside of meditation, when I am trying to make a decision, when I'm trying to discern, is that a great thing to do to go around the world through all these places for 888 days? I can discern what is it that I truly want.
0: Interesting. So the idea of the 888 days around the world with my buddy John traveling through all of these great adventures, that may not be what I'm after. That's what you're saying. The 88 days or the 888 days, it's just a a framework. It's a container for something else that I want that wouldn't necessarily have to fit into the 888 days. Right. But I might not know what that is. Right. Is that where you're headed with that?
1: I am. I am because there's something that entices you and something that takes you back to that moment of some little spark that hit you when John offered that to you. So there's something inside of you that is still drawing you. And it. It's likely not the 888 days, but some kind of adventure, some kind of exploration, some kind of new knowledge that you thought, oh, I would have gotten had I done this. So there is that. But then how do you find that? Well, with all the chatter that's going on, right, it's very difficult. So we learn to find ourselves in those quiet moments. We learn to find the things that light us up, we can feel it in our bodies, literally feel the feeling in our bodies.
0: So that knowledge that I'm seeking or that experience or that feeling that I seek because I'm excited about the 888 days, that feeling would take me out of the zone I'm in right now that I'm calling my comfort zone. But I'm beginning to wonder, are we actually saying we want to get out of our uncomfortable zone and go to our comfort zone? Because if I could find what it was that still or what it is that still sparks me, I would leave the zone I'm in, which mm-hmm. might be uncomfortable. I may be misnaming it and I will go to someplace that's so satisfying, so gorgeous so delicious so luscious and full that i could not imagine why i stayed in the other place which seems so (laughs) drab and dreary and uncomfortable exactly are we actually describing the opposite of what we're talking about here
1: okay so here's what i see okay because i think in pictures right i see two like cliffs all right and Bridging those cliffs is a bridge, a walkway, which is scary, right? Over here on this side of the bridge, where we are in this moment of comfort zone, right? Known. We have comfort being equal to known, an expectation about how things are going to be in the next moment, right? I'm warm. I have a roof over the top of my head. I can wash my clothes. I can turn on hot water and I know how to get to the store. I know I know my car is got gas in it, on and on. If I decide that I want to go across to that other side of that bridge, and I'm not really sure, but I know that over there is something that's calling me, the discomfort zone is the bridge. It's the taking the step to walk on that bridge because there's a giant gap underneath it, right? But once you get out onto the bridge, then that gap that's under that seems scary is actually the thing that's going to drive you to keep going across the bridge because you're not going to stand there. You got to keep going. So the more that you keep going across the bridge, the less, uncomfortable the bridge becomes because now you get used to it you know it's holding you and you can see more clearly what you're heading towards
0: so we're using the term comfort zone in a little bit of a different way now the bridge becomes the uncomfortable zone in the journey to another comfort zone that's more satisfying than the one you are in
1: and because there's so many unknowns on the other side of the bridge it seems like it's uncomfortable but there is comfort around the idea that you're going to walk into something new because that's what your soul's calling you to do your soul doesn't want to stop as long as we're in body as long as we're here as long as we're alive we've got breath our soul wants to use that. Our soul wants to experience this world.
0: But as you were speaking and talking about your circumstances and I need to go across the bridge and this is the uncomfortable place, there are a lot of people out there who would not describe the circumstances they are in as comfortable. So when you're dealing with people who are in really bad, stuck, stuck places. How do you frame this for folks who have those kind of situations?
1: So what we're really looking for is love and acceptance, no matter what it is that we are saying that we're seeking. Right. So, I mean, because you can look at people who have very, very, very little and have to struggle every day. For many reasons, people are in physical discomfort. We've been talking materialistically. And really where I'm going is getting the comfort zone in my soul, in this body, the mind, body, soul, the whole thing, the whole picture, right? Becoming a whole being. And how we do that is going back to meditation right is getting quiet with ourselves finding that comfort zone within ourselves not materialistically not out in the world but here inside our hearts inside our souls and that is by knowing ourselves that's by taking a look and that's where sessions that i've been doing for what the last 12 years what's right with me, right? If I ask you what's wrong with you, you can give me a list of things, right? But when I ask you what's right with you, tell me what's right about you. That stops most people, it stops them and they have to dig and think, who are you? What do you bring to the world? What are the things that you have done for yourself over your lifetime? that creates skills, that creates talents, right? That creates all these things that fill that one being up so that your light just beams out into the world. When you take this body and fill it up with your soul, fill it up with your energy, that's the picture that I have. That's the thing that I want. That's what I'm looking for of beaming out into this world, beaming love out into this world, feeling it in here and shining it out. If we all did that, we wouldn't have war. We wouldn't be afraid. When I first started doing these sessions, I would tell people, I'd say, you know, this is about what's right with us. and And if something negative comes up, turn it over and see the bright side. Well, it's true. Anything negative, you can turn it over and you can find a lesson in it. I did it for myself like two years in. I set up a board for myself and I drew out my answers. I came up with, in the second question, I came up with something that felt very negative. And what I realized is I needed to look at that. I needed to see that because it formed me. That piece that I consider a negative part of my life or a negative feeling in my life literally informed me to get to me to this point.
0: Do you find the negative expressions that people discuss in the work that you do, and then flipping that over to the positive things that they're looking at, do you... Find them equally simplistic? Are they equally complicated? or is one more simplistic or complicated than the other?
1: I think it's really pretty simple. Where we get complicated is when we create a story, right? We have this feeling that's a negative. and then we say, why do I feel this way? Well, it's because, and then we start creating a story. We attach it to a story that we'd already, begun and then we add to that story so it becomes this great big thing so it's meaning it's the meaning that we put to things
0: and when you say meaning I hear that term a lot I love that term Uh, there's a fellow in Asheville named Gareth Higgins who's a great friend of mine and quite a quite an activist peace activist and he hosted a show or an event in Asheville While back, he may do it again, called Movies and Meaning. And it it filled up. It was at the Diana Wortham Theater, and he sold lots and lots of tickets, and everybody came and we watched movies and discussed meaning. And I've seen that word meaning around, and I do like it. Tell me more about what you mean by saying meaning.
1: I think it's a human nature thing. When we want to understand something, when we see something, right? we automatically create a story around it, okay? Like a bluebird shows up in my bird feeder and I create a story that, oh, the bluebird means happiness. And so then I create a story around that. When I did the imaginative storm with you a month ago, I guess, I loved it. One, I have to tell you, I loved it so very much. There were words, right? Words that we all came up with And then we made meaning through using those words. It's what we do as humans. However, there can be a danger in that because we can create meanings that are not real and keep us from knowing our true self, right? Let's say someone labels me as a mean person, right? And as a child, as a child, I get this. So I am really careful for the rest of my life not to show anger because the meaning that I put to that person saying I was mean was that I'm globally mean, I look mean, I did something that was mean. So then I'm careful all through my life because of that one meaning, that story that got created. That leads then to a shadow. And what we're talking about really is the four cornerstones of the Chopra program. Purpose is the first thing we explore. Intention for our lives becomes the second thing that we explore. Meaning, which is when it gets really juicy and we start looking at the stories that we created and we create, and then that shows us our shadow. That shows us this place that we're hiding In the shadow, what I found, Nave, was the beauty of me. In the shadow, I found that mean thing that I thought that I was or that someone saw that I was trying to hide kept me from being my authentic self because I was walking around that. You've seen that Shel Silverstein book, A Circle, right? And there's a wedge cut out of it. And it's rolling around in life trying to get something to fit into that wedge. When truly what it needs to do is fill out that wedge on its own and stop hiding that spot, right? Stop hiding that and become the full circle. And when you become the full circle, you allow yourself to be angry at times you allow yourself to be sad at times you allow yourself to be joyous at times you allow yourself to have all the emotions because those emotions are what make us human. And when we stop trying to squash those things down and we accept them and we use discernment, of course, because we never want to use things that will hurt somebody else or ourselves really So in that acceptance of self, we are more easily accepting other people. In that loving of self, we are more easily loving of other people. So that's that, like this, this work of of self empowering yourself isn't just about yourself. It's about the world.
0: I'm thinking about Some of the ways that I operate, looking at this list, purpose, intention, meaning, and shadow. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about all of these things in many, many years. And even in this conversation, though, as I'm listening to you, I'm starting to think, well, I'm not sure anymore about so many things which is okay. I mean, I guess it's all right to not be sure. It's like, okay, well, tomorrow's another, another day. But I'm also thinking about I've held myself back in groups of people. I have often felt like if I let myself really, really go into those realms of just absolute joy. And so I'm a little, little scared of it. And I've had people over the years say, oh, come on, let's just just go ahead. Let it really, really go. And I'll go, OK, are you sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I go, really? You know, the, suddenly the circus tent opens and all the elephants appear yeah. and, you know, the zebra comes out and the trapeze artists are flying around. And, and I'm like right in the middle of this whirlwind thing hey. of opening up and people are like, ah, they, they run away
1: a couple people will run away, or some people will run away, and others will be fascinated. And that's the thing. We can't make everyone happy by being ourselves. That's not our job. What we're doing is we're giving ourselves freedom to feel the fullness of life. We're giving ourselves the freedom to do that. And yes, do we have a responsibility when we're around other people to use discernment? Yes. But discernment is not the same as shutting down discernment is being aware of your circumstances being aware of the people that surround you like you don't want to be this wonderful loud clown person in the middle of a place where people are needing quiet because they're reading or meditating or whatever right so there's discernment about where you're going to be
0: <laughs> no fireworks in the library is no, no
1: fireworks in the library <laughs> But what I found since opening up that Pandora's box and looking at the place where I'm called a bitch, okay, when when I opened up that Pandora's box and looked at that and saw that well, sometimes I can be angry. Yes. Sometimes I can feel angry and not show it, right? Because, oh right because it's not the right thing to do but when i shut down that anger it's still in me it's still there and that's when we get people who do this explosion of anger we get people who are volcanic anger because they haven't been able to let it go and let it go and let it go and let the steam out and let the steam out we have parts to us there's a the internal family systems therapy where we have different parts of ourselves and it's simply parts of our personality. We have the part that is the little person, the little child in us. We have the part that is the adult person. We have many, many, many parts in between those places and around those places. And when we deny those parts, they rebel. In one way or another, they rebel. They are there still. So what I've learned is to embrace that, to look at the parts when I'm driving out here of my neighborhood and someone pulls out in front of me. If I allow myself to be angry in that moment, to be fearful is really what it is. I'm afraid. And then anger shows up because why did you do something so stupid, right? If I allow myself to feel that feeling of, oh, man, that was so stupid and just be with that, it goes away. And then I have the opportunity to go, oh, they're probably, you know, they could be thinking something that's tragic, or they could be just completely, you know, just not thinking about driving or whatever. You know, it's not against me. It's just that person. I get the opportunity to observe the situation instead of enmesh myself in the situation.
0: It's interesting because last night I was here, and we had a, a holiday gathering, had a little had a meal in the afternoon, and then after the meal, as the sun went down, we all sat around chatting, and the guitars came out, and mm-hmm. I carried my guitar over and placed it in the corner because I thought somebody might want to play it, and there's a fellow who came, and he, he goes by, his name is Aaron, but his stage name is Earl Buck, and he plays around. All, all over the place, he tours and he's a very good songwriter. He's a friend of mine and and another fellow, Kevin Cannon, and, and another fellow named David was here and they all play. And they usually play at these gatherings because the people we know, the people come that we know. So it's the same crowd, really. I strum at home. And so somehow last night, I just thought, you know, I want to I want to do something in front of this group and nobody even knows I've even can play a chord on a guitar. I, didn't Never, know. I, I don't, don't talk about it. Right. I'm not like, you know, sure. And I've been doing it since I was 12. So it's not something that's new for me. Right. And this is about that comfort zone. And I have been very nervous about just really letting myself go in front of this crowd of people, the people that are closest to me. And so I said to Aaron with a little bit of a gulp, uh, Earl Buck, he goes by, his stage name is Earl Buck, but his name is Aaron Driver." And I said, well, Aaron just hand me the guitar and asked me to play. And and Kevin Cannon, who's also local here in Taos, Kevin is a, an excellent jazz guitar player. And another guy named Barrett was here from Seattle, who is a studio level producer, musician who plays with the big bands. So Barrett was doing the drumming, right? So pretty high-level people. Now, David, the other fellow who plays, he's just beginning beginning the guitar, but he's also somebody who has had a lot of background in music, so he's transferring his skills over to the guitar. And I was feeling very insecure and like, oh, my gosh. But when Aaron handed me the guitar, I took it. And of course, I play all the time, so it's not like it was a struggle to do it. And I was playing, I wanted to play the Tennessee Waltz for Cheryl, uh, Aaron's wife. And, and so I, I started playing the blues and Barrett and Kevin moved in behind me. And I mean, we were all on the same key and I was playing, we were playing, I mean, this was like eyes closed, blues guitar and he was backing it up, and it was terrific. And then I said, "Cheryl, come, let me do a spoken word bit with the Tennessee Waltz." And so I started doing Tennessee Waltz, and Kevin started to sing. Barrett was playing a little bit, and Kevin was doing, doing uh, lead guitar, and it just synced up for me. And I didn't do much of it. I mean, we, you know, the other guys played a lot more, but I did step into it, and that felt so comfortable. After I was so skittish about it, Bria. After
1: you crossed the bridge. I
0: crossed, I was so, like, <laughs> oh God, you know, and, and I've done, I used to play with my father. We'd go around Asheville and play old time music everywhere. Yeah. I was I in a know. band. I mean, I, I played, but oh my gosh, that bridge was long and far. But when I got on it and crossed over, it was okay. So that to me made me smile. I was, abs- I'm smiling now when I tell it. I'm that is what you're talking about. That's it's true. not dramatic, is it, Bria?
1: It's only dramatic when we attach a meaning to it, <laughs> when we create the story, right?
0: And my story was, if I take the guitar and really do, and I'm very good at doing improvisational songs, I can make up songs all day long. Just go on and on and on. They don't ever make any sense, but they rhyme, so it's fine and it sounds good. And I'm not a great singer, but I can do the Leonard Cohen thing, you know, where I go deep like that, and nobody notices that I'm not on key. Um, and so, but I've been really reticent about like, just come on now, let's do some songs. Give me a, give me that E. We're gonna walk down that big road tonight. The moon, you know, that moon that you it's used to perfect. wish on. It just becomes sort of like poetic gibberish, really. Uh, It felt so good to do it. And I felt so free.
1: Would you say you were in connection with all of you then? I
0: I would. I would. Yes, absolutely. I didn't feel like I had any sort of time agenda. It was just that moment.
1: That's to me, literally singing the song of your soul. That's what I feel like we're all looking for at some level, we're all looking for that, like sync up, you know, it's like we take the body and the soul and they sink and they become one.
0: And yet it's not something that lasts forever. I mean, I put the guitar up and wash the dishes, but I still felt pretty good about washing the dishes. And now that I tell the story, it's like I'm reliving it.
1: It's there. It's just us discovering. It's us uncovering ourselves and literally it's uncovering, right? Because we have slapped on all these things that all these meanings about who we are. And if we do this, that means that and if we don't do this, that means that we create all this meaning and when we take that off of us, when we at least let it go, when we shed it, when we surrender and we just go, okay, warts and all here I am. That's when we have our great joy.
0: Well, Bria, on that note, we have almost arrived at the top of our time together. One of the things I've always noticed about you, is like, I, one of the reasons I hate to talk to you is because it has to end. <laughs> I, have to, I have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, like, no, oh, no, but we do have to close this out. And before we do, I would like for you just to tell everybody about the workshop again that you're going to do and how to reach out to you so that people can can join you for this event. It's a free event, you're saying, and you're offering it. It is a
1: free event, yes. And right now, because I'm in the shift of, you know, moving my website, Instagram is where people are going to find this information And my Instagram is verbal remedies with an underscore after it. So it's V E R B A L R E M E D I E S underscore. At any rate, the workshop is on January 21st at three o'clock Eastern time. It is a Zoom call, it's a Zoom workshop. So you can be anywhere in the world and join this. And it is the first of four. And I haven't scheduled the other three, but they'll be quarterly. And people will receive tools from this workshop. You don't, and of course, I would love to get some, a few coaching clients out of it and a a coaching group workshop out of it. Love to do that. Love to speak to organizations. Love to do the What's Right with Me sessions with people. And you don't have to do any of that to get something out of this because my intention is to give some of the things that I've learned. It's an hour and a half. So I can't give you everything, but I can definitely give you some. And then I will have my new verbal remedies website posted by the time of the workshop. So when you leave the workshop, there'll be a list of resources, books and songs and movies and other teachers to go to, to help you move through this this year and then on into the rest of your life to empower empowering me in 2023 and beyond that's that's my passion
0: all <laughs> <It's> right my... <laughs> well bria thank you so much for being on twice five miles radio Thanks, i do somebody. appreciate it.
1: i really appreciate the invitation thank you so much
0: there you go my friends that was my conversation with bria parker And like she said, she's going to be offering her free workshop, Empowering Me in 2023 and beyond, January 21st, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom. And if you would like to find the link where you can connect with her offering, you'll find Bria on Instagram. And her name on Instagram is Verbal Remedies Underscore, Verbal Remedies Underscore. I like the name verbal remedies because it directly suggests that how we have conversations, how we interact with each other, how we talk to our friends, talk to ourselves even in private, potential to smooth our ways, maybe even heal an an old wound or a new wound. The idea of a verbal remedy suggests we all have a great deal of healing power in the way we speak, in the way we present ourselves, in the way we interact with other people, and also in the way we interact with ourselves. And when I say interact with ourselves, I mean how we talk to ourselves in, in private. How many times have you criticized yourself when you've lost your keys, or when you've left the stove on, or when you've forgotten something and you drove out of the driveway and realized a mile down the road you had to turn around and come back and retrieve whatever item it was that you had forgotten. On the other hand, when you've done a good job with something, something simple like cleaning your kitchen or making your bed, and you've stepped back for a moment and you've nodded and said, this is a good job that positive affirmation, this is a good job, would be what Bria Parker would consider a verbal remedy. On the other hand, the critique that you give yourself, the maybe harsh critique when you have to turn around after you've driven down the road and return and pick something up, those critical words would be the opposite of a verbal remedy. Likely you've experienced both situations, the praise for making the bed or the snarky critical comments to yourself when you had to turn around and go back home. So it's very clear that positive takes on things delivered out loud to yourself equal verbal remedies. However, the snarky takes on things delivered out loud to yourself would hardly remedy anything. Instead, it would be a bit like walking into the sharp white light of an emergency room in a big city and having to wait for hours for some kind of attention. So clearly, words have a great deal of power. The good comments soothe you, and the negative, snarky, critical comments do very often feel like that sharp white light in an emergency room. You may have guessed that my example of turning around and having to return to pick something up that was forgotten is an example out of my own life. I've done that more than once. And I've had the experience of the snarky emergency room, glaring white light comments that I've made to myself about how much of an idiot I was for forgetting something. And I'll admit that I've been pretty hard on myself when I've done that. But I will tell you the last time I did it, and I haven't done it that often, but it does happen, I realized that I could change the way I talk to myself Because words, indeed, do have power, words are verbal remedies, it's possible to reframe the situation. I mean, after all, once something is done, you can't go back and rewrite history, you have to go forward. So a verbal remedy reframe around the forgetfulness would be something like, Well, how about that? I now have an opportunity to turn around, breathe, go back home, pick up whatever it was I forgot, and then continue on as if it never really happened, or thinking of a deeper reframe, This could be an opportunity. Who knows what the future holds? So that turning around could be the moment, the moment of your forgetfulness, could be the moment of your destiny as well. And of course, your destiny, like your future, cannot really be predicted. And yet, if you give yourself a verbal remedy, reframe about a mistake you make, you feel better, immediately, you start to see maybe the humor in the mistake, maybe you smile. And when you move in the positive direction, the chemical makeup in your body changes. The emotional atmosphere in your body reorganizes itself. I mean, another example of that would be the frown versus the smile. When you frown, people repel from you. When you smile and someone sees you smile, it's almost impossible for them not to smile back. And the smile uplifts everybody around you. It's, in a sense, a a silent verbal remedy. And that smile also cues the emotional state of your psychology to generate uh, the positive aspects rather than the negative aspects. For the record, I am not discounting some of the negative things that happen to us and the emotional responses we have to those negative things like sadness, grief, anger, frustration. These emotional tones have just as much agency, currency, and value as happiness, joy, and love. The range of our emotional makeup is one of the greatest assets we have, which is all the more reason why using the idea of verbal remedies to frame all of our emotional tones is a good idea. And when you apply the idea of verbal remedies to evaluating your situations that come up throughout the day or within your life, large and small, it allows you to think about The notion of critiquing yourself in a more positive way. When we critique ourselves, it is important to remember that it's a good thing to evaluate what's happened and try to come up with solutions that will help us move forward in ways that will benefit us and those around us. So from a verbal remedy point of view, it does none of us any good to be harsh with ourselves when we forget something at the house and have to turn around and go back. It does a lot of good to remember that it's smart to evaluate the flub, if you will, from a positive point of view. So for me to berate myself no end, or for you to berate yourself no end, for leaving something behind that you have to turn around and go back and retrieve, it might be smart to pause Remember to smile and say maybe to yourself, okay, here's a little critique for you. It's time to breathe. It's time to relax. It's time to move a little slower. And in the slow movement of checking things before you go, you'll remember what you need to take the first time out the door and you won't have to turn around and come back and get it. So the more you use the notion of verbal remedies and the more you apply the verbal remedies to your critiques, to the way you praise yourself, the way you evaluate the things you you do or the things you feel like you fall short while you're doing them, the the smoother things will go. That doesn't mean you will eliminate the times when you forget something and have to turn around and come back and retrieve whatever it is you've forgotten. But it does mean that you can actually pause for a moment and move in the direction of some positive thinking rather than some negative thinking. And as we move through our lives and as we live our lives, that's really an inspirational notion that we can all strive for, we can all reach for. Sometimes we'll fall short, sure, and the snarky little comments will come. But the more you're aware of it, the more you know that verbal remedies can be something that actually do remedy situations the better off we'll all be so on that note i would like to say thank you ever so much for tuning in to twice five miles radio Fertile Ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. Always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7 and streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com for more of Walter's music. Thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM. I appreciate all the work you do and also thank you Robin Collier for broadcasting on KCEI coming out of Taos, New Mexico if you would like to reach out to me nave at jamesnave.com Nave is spelled N-A-V-E, and if you'd like to join me any Saturday morning with my creative collaborator, Allegra Houston, we host an imaginative storm writing prompt of the week workshop. The door's always open, there's never a charge, and it lasts for an hour, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time. ImaginativeStorm.com is where you will find that Zoom link. The Gathering is a blend of a workshop, a salon, a conversation, writing exercises, and a bit of philosophy about life in general. So, ImaginativeStorm.com for that Zoom link. If you would like to join us, we'd love to have you. So thank you again for tuning in, and I do really appreciate it, and I hope you come back sometime soon. And until then, I will catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.